Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Second Timothy chapter number three and verse number one. Diving into this chapter, making good progress through this book of the Bible that has much application for us. Uh, obviously, first and second Timothy are written to the church, written to a pastor. And uh, essentially the message is to help us to know how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth in a society. And so God wants us to be on the same page with him so that we can be that in this society, a pillar of truth and a foundation of truth. And uh, in many ways and in many countries, it is rung true that the Christian church is the, the last, is that is that straining force that keeps a a nation from just going hog wild away from God. And so uh, here tonight in this verse of scripture, and as you're turning there this morning, this evening, this morning I mentioned that uh, about chickens and uh, snoozing a chicken, and a lot was going through my mind when I thought about snoozing a chicken, uh, and uh, uh, some of it comes from the, the uh, more the country type of days when you would, uh, when you would actually snooze a chicken uh, and uh, um, prepare it for the table and so on. So some of that was, well, we just didn't go there. Miss Rebecca put this together, and, uh, and so uh, she put the little snooze thing on there, you know, just thinking about that. And so tomorrow morning, as you think about getting up, and um, perhaps you're mad at your uh, alarm clock, and uh, you think about, boy, I just need to get up and spend a little bit of time with the Lord. And uh, you don't have to uh, you don't have to get rid of a chicken. You can you maybe smash an alarm clock to get up. But uh, Jesus didn't have any of that when he was getting up at four a.m. That's pretty incredible. And uh, again, the the main idea is just to go get time with the Lord, and not necessarily four a.m. But get time with the Lord. All right, you're there at uh, at Second Timothy three and verse number one. The Bible says this: Know also, all right, beyond all the other things, Timothy, that I've taught you through this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers, of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now let's read verse number five together, good and loud, ready and begin. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Father, we thank you tonight for this opportunity to open up your word. We believe your word is inspired, it's infallible, Lord, we believe that your word is the only way that we know how to have eternal life with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, you told us that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through you, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, tonight we just ask that you would help each one of us to be absolutely confident in our hearts that heaven is our home 
that we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there is one here that does not yet know that, I pray that tonight would be the night of salvation. But Lord, for all of us, I ask that you would teach us on what to expect in these days. Help us not to be blindsided. Help us not to be distracted by all the chaos that is going on around us. And I pray that you would help us to uh, have such an awareness about us that we, we go through this life and we're able to uphold the truth in this, in this society in a confident way because we're confident in you. And so help us, Lord, tonight. Be our guide and our teacher. Would you anoint myself for, uh, for this preaching of your word and would you anoint every listener for the hearing of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, and you may be seated. I thank you for being here tonight. I uh, told you this morning that as we would discuss tonight, really our goal is to focus on what to expect as those that want to endure. The whole subject of 2 Timothy is really from the heart of the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, that he picked up at Philippi, is this. Timothy, you need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Several times throughout the book, he admonishes Timothy to endure, to endure, to stay at it, Timothy, to not give up. And there's sometimes that we want to give up. Sometimes in the fight for truth and in doing right, we want to give up. We feel like that would be the easier way out. But Timothy was told to endure hardness, chapter 2 and verse number, uh, uh, verse number 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Be persistent, stay at it, be faithful all the way to the end. By the way, sometimes in our minds we get to thinking that that is the results that determines my success. No, it is our faithfulness that determines our success. God is not going to say to you and I when we stand before him, well done, thou good and successful servant. He will say, well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. And so that gives me courage tonight and that gives me hope tonight that each one of us can be faithful as we depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come into this Paul is really encouraging Timothy to, to be aware about the end times. Be aware about these days that would be coming that would try his soul. One man said it this way, the signs of the end times are secular society, scientific progress, social plagues, selfish prosperity, and sexual perversion. All of those are absolutely true about the end times. And you know what? Paul gave Timothy a long list of things that would mark the end times, specifically in the people, but also in the culture as well. And so what was Timothy to know? What was he to know and expect? What was he to be aware of? Well, it's what we're going to study tonight, and it's what we ought to be aware of as we live in this 2021 here in America in the midst of a very changing culture. And so I encourage you to take some notes tonight and write things down as the Lord touches your heart. When I'm taking notes, I'm always looking for the main points, but I'm also looking for whatever God says. You know what? You need to remember that and think on that a little bit later. So I'd encourage you to, uh, to uh, grab a piece of paper and take some notes. But as we think about this, Timothy was told, this know also. This know also. The idea that he was to recognize and be aware of some things. So this was a command that Paul was giving to him, and he was to be aware of it all the time. It wasn't something that he was just to know at a point in time, and once he got past it, once he learned it, he should just kind of check it off the no list. But he was to know it at all times. He was to constantly be, a, um, be aware of the fact that perilous times would indeed come. Now, some believers think that, boy, there's a better day coming. There's, there must be a better day coming. Sometimes we, we hear people say, well, I just wish for the good old days, right? I wish for the good old days. What were the good old days, by the way? Were they free of sin? 
free of corruption, free of deceit, free of deception. What about the 1960s? Were those good days, right? Uh, a little bit different times in our country, but you know, understand, uh, there, there were bad days in the past, and there's, there's bad days coming. Paul says, I want you to know that there are perilous times that, that will indeed come. Now, here's what I want to just encourage you about, because sometimes we get in our mindset that, boy, we're, we're looking for that better day and, and that uh, right here on earth. We're looking for that better day. And you know that there's whole systems of theology that are based on this idea that we are going to so improve our culture and our society that we would actually usher in the kingdom. Now that's a wrong thought process. It's an unbiblical pr- thought process. You might, uh, you might hear it called like a dominion theology where we're going to so dominate and we're going to so uh, adjust the culture, change the culture that will usher in, will make the earth ready for Jesus Christ to come back. And so there's, there's some mindsets that are wrong when we think, boy, times are only going to get better. We can make this better. God said himself, you and I need to know that perilous times shall come. You say, well, I came to church to be encouraged tonight. Perilous times are going to come. And you know what? I'm thankful there is an encouragement. There is a silver lining to this in that God himself wrote this down for you and I to know. And if God knows the way through the wilderness, I'm going to get through. Are you with me? I'm going to get through. God knows the path. He knows the, he knows the journey. He knows about the storm he's talking to us about. And so he says, perilous times will indeed come. I want you to realize that these days that we are to know about, that Timothy was to know about, would be difficult days. They would indeed be difficult days. He says perilous. That is a very interesting word. In fact, it's used here and in one other place in the New Testament. It is the idea of troublesome, dangerous, violent, uh, perverse, uh, difficult to deal with. And so he says, I want you to know that these perilous times are going to come. Over in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 28, the word is translated over there, fierce, when talking about a man possessed with a de- uh, devil, fierce. And so you get it in your mind that these are going to be fierce and violent and wicked, wicked days. Uh, in some of the old English, uh, it was translated as, as outrageous. Uh, just kind of, just the acting out. Uh, and so there, again, another good word, uh, word picture for, for what, would, uh, what would come upon us, these perilous days, these outraging days, these days that are just busting out and they're, they're full of fury and full of wickedness and full of, of wrongdoing. And so others have defined it as perilous uh, days having the idea of an unraveling, uh, coming in part at the scenes. How many of you have ever taken apart a golf ball? That was fun. Like, I really enjoyed doing that as a, as a teenager. You'd have, to, you'd have to cut through, and sometimes we'd use a, like a, um, uh, some sort of saw or a, you know, maybe a sidewheel grinder, not real safe, but you know, uh, side, don't try that at home. But, uh, but we would get through the, the hard shell. You, you, how many of you remember what happens once you finally get through and you release that hard shell? Rubber bands just go everywhere, right? It's really fun to watch, okay? And, uh, and, and that's kind of the idea, this unraveling of, of society. And don't you sense that right now, just an unraveling of all of our core values, of everything that we have known to be good and right, all of those moral values, the Judeo-Christian values that our country was founded upon, there's an unraveling. By the way, this passage of Scripture is not America-centric. So what we are seeing in our country is we're... we're Certainly, we're a part of, of all that, 
but it is not America-centric. And, and now that America is unraveling, then the last days are here. You know, that's not the idea. But there is, God said that there would be an unraveling. By the way, there's an unraveling all the way around the world. There's a, there's a pressing down. There's a, there's a violence that is coming down on the people of God all the way around the world. We have just lived inside of a bubble here in America, and, and we rejoice and thank God for that. But we are indeed experiencing these last days, these times of pressing down, these difficult days, these days that are hard to bear, which makes it all the more important for you to find a quiet place with God and hear his voice over the voice of the world around you. And so during these last days uh, would be this, this, these perilous times. During the last days, well, what are the last days? They're the time, it's the period between the first century and Christ's return. So from the time of Christ to the time of Christ's return. And so if you look at, uh, look at that, we are, we are right on the threshold of, of hearing Jesus Christ, the trumpet sound and the rapture happening and calling away all the believers, all those that are, are in Christ and also the dead in Christ, they're gonna rise. Jesus doesn't come to earth at that point. Uh, and at that, at that point after the rapture, the seven years of tribulation where God pours out his fury upon the earth, we see then he comes back when all the nations of the earth gather against Israel. We can see all that angling up, can't we? Can't you just sense that, the fury? I'm reading a book about uh, right now about uh, what, what kind of is going on in the Middle East, a modern day uh, look. Uh, enemies and allies have been a fascinating look in there, but you can just see everything's just kind of bubbling there. Well, when finally, after the tribulation and all the nations of the earth come to, uh, together against Israel to wipe Israel off the map, Jesus Christ himself will return with his saints and we will be behind him and he will, with one word of his mouth, he will destroy all the armies of the world, set up his millennial rule, and then there will be uh, some final judgments and then we'll, uh, the earth will burn up with a fervent heat. It'll be destroyed. A new heaven and a new earth will be created and the eternal state will be forever with the Lord and it's an, ama an amazing thing. But right now we're in this church age or this parenthesis in time, this, this time of the Gentiles, this time where God is... Uh, set aside Israel to provoke them to jealousy so that one day they'll come, um, come back to him. We're in this last days. And you say, well, wait a minute. So was, was Timothy in the last days? Yes. Was Martin Luther in the last days? Yes. Uh, was uh, Jonathan Wesley in the last days? Yes. Yeah, all these, guys, uh, all these guys were, and we are in the last days. You say, well, wait a minute. What, what about these guys in the New Testament? It seems like uh, the last days should be where we are right now. It says in 1 Peter 1 and verse number 20, who um, verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. First John 2 and verse 18, little children, it is the last time. Well, how do we know that? And as you've heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, many Antichrists, not the Antichrist, but many Antichrists right now, he's saying, whereby we know that it is the last time. And so they were living in the last days, and we are living in the last days. Friends, we're living in the last of the last days. I mean, we have to be. We, we have to be with minutes on the clock. God told us that he is prolonging his coming because he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's his heart. And so we're in these last days. And, uh, you know, I think about with the increase of mobility, with the increase of technology, the last days have only become worse and worse. The amount of sin that is able to travel and get across the globe 
uh, around the world, the amount of deception that is able to be spun all the way around the world so very, very quickly. Uh, it's amazing. And so we see the, the worsening of these last days. And so he says, in the, uh, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Notice that these perilous times would be developing before the end. At the end, it says they shall come. It means they're going to actualize. They're going to be realized. It's going to be a, a real thing. It's going to be visible before your eyes. As one, uh, one said uh, that the idea of shall come is to, to set in, to, to settle in, to get entrenched. And so these last per- uh, days and the perilous times in them would, would settle in and they would become a reality. And I think we all would would uh, be very, you know, right on board with the idea that, boy, I see this all the way around me. I see the last days. I see the, the pressure. I see the, the hard-to-bear days, the, the news events that are very hard to bear. I see all this being entrenched. It's, it's here, and I see that. And so God wants us to know that. He wants you to know that. It's important for you on a Sunday night like this to be reminded of the fact we are in the last days, and God himself said, you, church, need to know that perilous times, hard-to-bear days would, would indeed come. So how are these hard-to-bear days going to be marked? Notice in verse number two. They're going to be degenerate days. Degenerate days. Look at it. We have this, this list that God has given unto us of degenerate people. Now, we're going to briefly describe these. Uh, this is an in-depth study of those. But we're going to briefly describe these, these descriptors that God gives uh, to us of the last days. By the way, as you read through that, I realize there's some words that we don't use anymore, but there are many words in there, and you say, yep, that sounds like a news report I just heard. That sounds like a newspaper I just read or a news article I just read in my email, right? I mean, very relevant, and it's all, all right there. And so let's break this apart. There are 19 descriptors that are given to us here. God wants us to know about this. Why did he go to all this trouble to make sure that you in 2021 have this? He wants you to know, I'm aware of it all, and I want you to be aware of what is going to happen in the last days. The very first one is that men shall be lovers of their own selves. They're going to be in love with themselves. Now think about that. I've often said that uh, when YouTube first started out, their, their tagline was, broadcast yourself. Right, broadcast yourself. Uh, everywhere we turn right now, we see the, the self-love, self-esteem. Everything's about self. If it feels good, you do it. Very humanistic thought process where I am the center of the universe. If it makes me feel good, no matter how it makes you feel, you ought to just, uh, you ought to just be good with it. And so there's such a love for self, self-centeredness, uh, conceited, egotistical. Everything revolves around self. Well, you offended me. Have you ever seen such an offended culture? Easily offended. Very easily. What does this all come back to? Love of self. Love of self. And God said that it was going to happen. What about this idea of covetous? They're lovers of money, greedy for money. This is exactly what God said. Uh, if, if a pastor is going to be a pastor, a biblical pastor, a qualified pastor, he is not to be greedy of filthy lucre, but God told every single one of us that the love of money not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Do we not see that? Follow the money trail over and over. I've mentioned to you, I've talked to some uh, folks in the State Board of Health and some of the, uh, the wicked ideologies that are coming and being taught in our school system. She says, you know what, Pastor, I just started following the money. 
I just started following the money and realizing what is behind some of the, some of the pushes and some of the, the agendas that's going on. Follow the money. There's so much covetousness. Even in this past year, there's so much covetousness in the name of keeping people safe and in the name of keeping people healthy. There's so much covetousness that is behind all of it. Uh, think about this. Boasters, these that are brag, um, braggarts, they're full of swelling words about themselves. About themselves. I can do that, no problem. I'm the best at that. And selling the self. Proud, arrogant, haughty, overbearing. He goes on to say, blasphemers, those that are evil speakers, they're profane. They're profane. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody cussing a blue streak, and I'm thinking, you know, are there any other words that you can use? Yeah, can you describe that in a more... A more way and, you know, and so on and it seems like there's not even a a concern anymore I, I even as a pastor it used to be that that people would kind of respect I remember working uh working for a guy back in construction when I was still in school and uh and and looking forward to being a pastor and he would uh he would cuss and he'd go on and he was a he was a very well-to-do man and 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 had been very successful and uh and I, we were building his house and he would say oh I'm sorry reverend you know there was there was and by the way, do not, I tell people all the time, what should I call you? Well, you can call me Josiah, you can call me Pastor, you can call me Joe, but don't call me Reverend. I'm not a Reverend. That is for God. God is, is revered, not me. Um, but he'd say, I'm sorry, Reverend. And so, uh, but he, he was from a former generation where there was a respect, a respect. But there's not that much respect anymore. There's not even respect for what is said around kids anymore. And we talk about blasphemers, those that are profane, every other word taking Jesus Christ's name in vain or, or going a, after some vulgar statements. Uh, he goes on and says, disobedient to parents, still in verse number two, disobedient to parents, they're rebellious, they're undutiful, they're uncontrolled. You know, it's interesting to me, I, I realize I have a long way to go with my, my children and probably every parent that's associated with this church would say, I have a long way to go with my children teaching them to obey God. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Have a long way to go. But you know, I'm amazed as we get out in public, people say, your kids are so well behaved. Why? Because they're not used to seeing kids that mind their parents, that obey anymore. Disobedient to parents. By the way, a, a two-year-old that does not mind his parents will turn into a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old that does not mind dad. They grow up. And we have a culture that is being, is, it, it has been raised by parents who weren't taught to mind and now, now are raising their own kids not, uh, not to mind and not to obey and there's disobedience to par uh, parents. Unthankful. Notice that. Unthankful. Now, Romans chapter 1, there's a similar list over there. It really starts in a, in a different way. It starts with the, their lack of godliness, and it traces back through they, their lack of godliness started with their uh, not willing to be thankful. They were ungrateful in their hearts. This is a big deal. We live in an unthankful society. Unthankful, ungrateful, lacking appreciation uh, for things, lacking appreciation for people, just looking at people as, as staff is talking to a a uh, uh, school janitor. He says it used to be that when we would set up an event in the school uh, that, that the parents would stay around and help out uh, and get things cleaned up. Now they just walk out and without saying a word, they, well, that's just the janitor's job. They'll clean up the mess. But no appreciation for those who, who serve. And even I think about unthankfulness to those who keep us safe in our community and those that work on our behalf. 
You think about all the ungratefulness that is all the way around us. You know what? Those that have harped over the past year about all their ungratefulness. No organization is perfect, but all the ungratefulness towards law enforcement, they'll be the first to call up law enforcement when they're in a pinch. But there's an ungratefulness that is set into our society. But that unthankfulness in this verse, the next thing there is unholy. Unholy. They're profane. They're irreverent. They hold nothing sacred anymore. Not the word of God. Not those that represent God. Unholy. Again, I was talking to the same school janitor and I was shocked. My mouth literally dropped open as I heard of something I was not aware of that is going on right now in our country and it is the TikTok challenge. Now, I'm not on TikTok. I don't plan to be. But the TikTok challenge, which is monthly challenges for school-aged children to do things either destructive or morally perverse. This month, in our schools, right here in our area, the, the challenge, and it is happening in our schools, is to destroy, is destroy school property, particularly in the bathrooms. And she, uh, she told me, she said, they're ripping the soap dispensers off the walls. And they're filming it for this TikTok challenge. You talk about godlessness. By the way, follow the money trail where TikTok comes from. Godlessness. You say, well, boy, that's the first I'm hearing about. I can't even read all the, all the challenges. I grabbed it. I cannot even read all, all of it, but next month is smack, uh, smack a staff member. And they're talking about smacking the, uh, the school principal. Now, you think about this. We need to be praying for those that are still teaching <laughs> And even praying for our school principal and those types of things. But it's amazing what is, what is happening. And it goes on. And it's, it's absolutely wicked, debauched stuff that is going on right inside of our public schools right here in our area and being motivated by what is called the TikTok challenge. Unholy, wicked. I, can, I, I, I have an imagination that if I would have tried any sort of those things that my Marine dad would have let me know who was in charge. And by the way, that is much of what is, what is wrong with our society right now. There is no consequence for sin. And it, that starts early on. That starts at the earliest age, and it continues on. People learn there's no consequence. There's no, there's no bad things that happen for my, my sin. And so, unholy. Uh, look at verse number three. Without natural affection. You know, I think about things and stories I've heard, you know, throwing a baby in a dumpster. Or killing, killing a child. Killing your own child. How absolutely, uh, I'm not even talking about abortion right now. I, I will a little bit later, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about your own living child. Without natural affection. Unnaturally uh, callous. Unfeeling. I uh, have been reading in, in, uh, within the last year a, a book of a converted MS-13 gang member that um, came to Christ and is now a pastor. But he would describe some of the things that he would engage in and, and the debauchery, the, the, the callousness with which uh, they would, would, would go after people and kill people. Just absolutely debauch without natural affection, but it's all around us. Truce breakers, this is the idea that they're unwilling to make reconciliation. They're not willing to even try. They're, they refuse the process. They, they are just content with there's a divide. We're not even going to talk about it. We're going to turn the other way. And you know what? We have all these divides in our country right now. 
and there's a whole lot of divides and that are being promoted everywhere we look, but the idea of in the last days there would be truce breakers, those that wouldn't even want to seek reconciliation, they benefit and, and they continue on in the truce breaking. False accusers, slanderers, they spread lies. They spread falsehoods and, and malicious reports intended to hurt. Incontinent, it simply means without control. They have no self-control. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, if a man does not have control over his own spirit, he's like a city with the walls broken down. Well, everywhere we look, there's, there's a lack of self-control. By the way, all these things, we can watch this in society, and if we're not careful, we can mimic society rather than mimicking the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that? Yeah, we can be unthankful. We can be a truce breaker. We can be a truce breaker between two believers. I'm not willing to get right. I'm not willing to let that resentment go. So we have to be on guard as well because it's all around us and we see it. Uh, what about fierce going on in verse number three? Fierce, they're brutal, they're savage, they're unprincipled. They're fierce. Despisers of those that are are good. We, we hear in the Bible when it says that there would be a day when they would, um, they would call evil good and good evil, but here it's the idea they're calling those that stand up for good evil people. And you mark it down as soon as those that are standing up for right and truth, the, the, the wrong in our society, the evil people in our society are going to see those as the roadblock to their agenda, and they're going to say, these are wicked, these are the people. I, I think I remember Back in the Old Testament, there, there was a king by the name of Ahab who told the prophet of Israel, do I have it right, Elijah? And he says, there's the man that troubles Israel. There's the man. He had just stolen a vineyard. He had stolen private property, by the way. You understand that? He had, there's nothing new under the sun. He had stolen private property, and he was having a party as a big wig, as a, 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 a ranking political of, a, a figure, and he's having this party, and the prophet, the preacher shows up, and he's like, there's the man that troubles Israel. Hold up now. The irony of that. But God told us it would happen. Traitors. They're betrayers. Yes, even betraying. Betraying their own countrymen, betraying their own family, betraying their own their own. Uh, community, traitors, heady, the idea of headstrong, they're reckless, they're self-willed, they're rash, they're hasty in their decisions, minded, they're, they're haughty, they're making all these empty pretensions, and they're very, very uh, conceited in, in their way of going about life, they're high-minded, and then it ends with this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If it feels good, do it. If it makes me feel good, I'm all in. Right now, people can't even get folks to come to work. There's no commitment. Lover of pleasure. I just want to hang back, receive, 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 receive. No matter how it makes other people feel. No matter how hard it makes it on other people. I was talking to a guy that uh, owns a, uh, one of those two men in a truck, or he, he manages two men in a truck. He says, we need 60 people. We've been down at like uh, around in the 30s. He says, we can't get people to come to work. Restaurants can't get people to come to work. Why? Lover of pleasure, lover of ease, lover of pleasure more than lovers of God. And the idea here is they love pleasure and they do not love God. It's not like they love God some, they just do not love God. And so 
It's interesting, the Bible tells us, 1 John 5 and verse number 19, and we know that we are of God, and that, and that, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Lieth. I like the word there. Lieth. It's the idea, just, just entrenched, settled into its wickedness. Today, with all those sins that are going on, and we see them from the, the lens of Scripture, and we have a, a biblical worldview, and so we, and we see them, the only sin today is to call sin, sin. Have you noticed that? The only sin today is to call sin, sin, to rise up and say, that is wrong, that's against God, and immediately people will react to that. And so it's a, it's a, de, a, de, a degenerate people here that God lists in 19 different ways. God is telling you and I, I want you to know this about the culture in which you live, partly so that you don't mimic them, that you don't walk like them, and also so that you do not, you do not get caught off guard by what's going on in the culture around you. And so nothing, nothing that we will see this week, nothing that we've seen in the past week caught God up by surprise. Nothing. Doesn't that give you courage? I'm certainly grateful we serve a God that was not caught by surprise and was able to list all this out for us, and so that's very helpful. But that degenerate people turns into a degenerate culture. Culture is simply the product of people's lives. So it's a pl- on the product of a collective group of people. And so we have culture. Now, I'm not talking about culture with like a f- you know, certain types of food, okay? I'm not talking about that type of culture or you know, a certain uh, you know, architectural style. Those, those parts of culture we're not talking about. I'm talking about culture that, that is the way that man thinks, the ma- way that man lives his life. And, and this culture that is against God, uh, it's interesting to me, 1 John 2 and verse number 15 tells us about the culture, love not the world, meaning, meaning the, the ideologies, the culture, the, the philosophies of it, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in, in him. For all that is in, in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world and its culture, its mindset, its thinking, and the world passeth away. It's not forever. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Another thing that we ought to just kind of underscore and attach to this morning's message is he that doeth the will of God abides forever. The highest priority for your life and mine this week is to know and do the will of God. And we can leave the rest with him. Okay? And so he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. But he says, don't love the world. Don't be in love with the world and the culture and all that's going on. And, you know, right now we're, we're a bit disgusted by what's going on in our culture. It's, it's pretty bad. But don't even have any sort of inkling that there's something redeemable there. It is against God. Without Christ, the culture will continue to go further and further away from God. As one man uh, wrote in the, uh, in the book, Holiness and the Spirit of the Age, he says, we live in a complex world and are surrounded by an ungodly culture. German sociologist Max Weber suggests that the modern culture is like a beautiful, ungilded birdcage. We are caught in it and we cannot escape it. We are encircled by its ideas and its ideologies but it's, and by its structures and its systems. Our culture is essentially unsympathetic sometimes even hostile to all we are called to be and do as Christians. You catch that last part? Culture is unsympathetic and oftentimes hostile to all we are called to be and called to do as Christians. And that's only going to get 
more vivid as we go along. That's why we need more of God's word and we need more of the assembly and we need more time with God because we are going into days that are very, very perilous. They're hard to bear. I want to just take a moment for, for a second and, and deal with something that, that's going on in our culture that we, we should be aware of and, and really do our own personal study on it, but be aware that it is coming from a culture of degenerate people. Unless you think immediately that I'm speaking about a political thing, I'm not. Uh, I want you to grab a hold of this and understand it and even do some of your own study. I want you to think about the invasion of socialism right now. Do you realize what we are on the, on the threshold of in our country? And we're starting to throw around this term like it's no big deal, it's something grand, and we're, and we're in love with everything free, free, free. I don't have to work for anything. And it's an amazing thing. Uh, do you know that socialism can also be understood as Marxism? Uh, Karl Marx was not, was not a man that walked with God. In fact, some of his own family members said that he, he seemed to have a connection with Satan himself, the devil. Uh, he was a very, very wicked man, and even today, much of his ideologies and thought processes are still propelled into this, into this day, and it's an amazing thing. And so I want you to think about this. Socialism essentially is a, is a war, a battle between God and government. You need to understand that. What we're dealing with right now in America is, is a matter of, will, will God be God, or will government be our God? This is important to understand. So as we consider that, Satan, in order to achieve his, his goals, uses the vision to, to bring people, to divide them from one another, to cause such unrest, but to bring people under the control of the government. And he does it time and time again. If, if you're not aware of that, read, read the history on Venezuela. Read it. It's striking how much we are, we are tracking that same path. And you say, why, why are you talking about this? Because essentially this is a, a biblical issue. All right, so consider it for a little bit. While Satan uses division to bring people under the control, the dominance of human government, you know what God does? God uses reconciliation through his, uh, his son Jesus Christ to bring us under, into a loving relationship with him and gives true freedom. And if the son hath made you free, you're free indeed. You know what ultimately it is? A war between the freedom in Christ and that's offered through biblical truth and the, free, uh, and the, the totalitarianism that is, is offered through uh, government as a God. And so you have this, this, this war between, and so, uh, this matter of socialism, this war between God and government, who's going who's gonna to reign. And you know that Satan himself, the Bible says that he is a liar the lust of the, uh, uh, and he's a murderer from the beginning. He has not abode in the truth. The truth is not in him. He speaks a lie. That is all that he does. And so he lies and he divides. He's the, he is the author of confusion, not God. He is the author of confusion. And so how, how is this all manifesting in our, in our country? Uh, friends, we have made more, more of a run away from God in this past year than we realize. So let's just think for a second. If, if this is a matter, if, if America right now is in this, this, this decision point, really far beyond a decision point, will, God, uh, will government be our God or will God be our God? Are we going to reject God or are we going uh, to reject government? What are we going to do? So we're, we're far beyond that. And many other countries have all gone, gone through this. Um, 
But you think about this, this matter of socialism, it's just, it's just kind of, if you want to think about it like a seed, it's just kind of the, the, the root of everything that we have seen. Everything that we've seen. You think about the rioting that's going on, you have to, in order to bring socialism into a country, you have to bring, it under, uh, uh, it, you have to bring division to it. You have to bring all sorts of chaos to it. And so the rioting and the anarchy that is going on, did you ever imagine a day where we'd burn our own cities? That we would trash the stores that we used to shop in? And what is energizing? What is behind that? You think about the, the racism. I ask people time and time again here in the area, hey, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what you're seeing on, 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 on the, the news, is, is that the reality? Is that what you feel? Do you, have you experienced racism? I realize there's, there's racism in America. And racism, by the way, is absolutely wrong and godless and completely should be rejected by anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? But I ask people all the time. I was on flying back from Washington, D.C., and I asked a young lady uh, in, the, in the, the airport down there in Atlanta. I, I just asked her. She was there in the store alone. It had just opened up on that day back in April after all, all of the shutdown. It just opened back up, and she was there, and I gave her the done book, by the way, and uh, was able to witness to her. But I just asked her. I said, I, 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 gave, uh, I said her name, and I still, I still remember her name, and still pray, um, pray for that she'll receive Christ. But I asked her, I, I said, uh, have you experienced what you're seeing on, the, on national TV? Do you experience this in your neighborhood? You know what's amazing to me is the narrative that's constantly putting out there. Everything goes back to racism. Everything, uh, well, you know what? Uh, you, you bought a new car. You're a racist. Uh, you got a house. You got a job. You're a racist. And everything goes back to racism. Are you with me? Now, friends, this is only going to get further. Right now, you hear a lot about what? CRT, critical race theory, Right? You hear a lot about that? Do you, know, do you know what's amazing about that? Is that we're not at the point where that is something that's coming. It's already here. It actually slipped in the back door while we weren't, while we weren't watching. It slipped into our curriculums while we weren't watching. And I, I, have, I have documentation or, or proof on that, witness on that. It's already here. But friends, this is a divisive, 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 way of thinking, and ultimately goes back to try to, to bring us into something, a, a, a control of the government or a, a socialism that, and Marxism that is, a, that is against God at its very root. Marxism, uh, friends, I'm just going to say, socialism and biblical Christianity, social, um, Marxism and biblical Christianity are mutually exclusive. They're against God. And we'll take some time to actually preach a message and, and break those down and give scripture on that. But I want you to, uh, to see this, the whole cancel culture, any opposing opinion. Well, you've seen it happen. Right now, up in, uh, up in, up in Canada, you have that pastor that was just arrested for, uh, and put in prison for six years because he's just opened up his church and he is standing up for truth. The cancel culture, the removing from social media platforms and all, all that type of stuff, it's a cancel culture that, that roots back into what's going on in our country. The, the redefining of marriage, the, the gender identity confusion. Like you think about it, in the, last, in the last couple of years, we've lost our minds. We forgot that, that scientifically, marriage is between one man and one woman, and that there's only boys and girls in the world. This is scientifically provable. But we've lost that. 
What is this? This is just a destruction of everything that we, we know. And, and kids are growing up in this. This is what kids are growing up. And so kids at the age of five and six, they're having to make determinations that God never intended them to make. Am I a boy or am I a girl? A lot of this is rooted in, in the needed destruction in order for this to go forward in our, our country that needed, or anywhere in the world, uh, the needed destruction of the nuclear family, a, a mom, a dad, and children. Needed. One of the greatest reasons that children get into crime is because of fatherless homes. And yet, it's under attack. And there's that chaos that is needed to bring, there's the division that is needed to bring under the control the dominance of the government or to make government uh, the uh, nation's God. Uh, along with that, the government wants to educate the children. Now, this has been going on for years, but I, I want to say something to you that, that scared the living daylights out of me and gave me a, a wake-up call to realize how persistent uh, they are to educate. Do you know I heard this this, this week that, that we of all nations have one of the highest education budgets in, in, in the world? Well, there's, there's, there's no accident for that, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever heard of whole child approach, the whole child approach or whole child education? Give me that next slide for a second here. Whole child approach transitions from a focus on narrowly defined academic achievement. Now think about this. We thought we're just sending for all these years and for the years that you went to school that we were just going to school to get an education because if you go to school, you're going to be able to get a job, right? You're going to be able to make, make a living, right? Well, right now, they're not playing that way. It isn't just about getting a job. Right now, they want the whole soul of the child. This is, not, this is not at all conspiracy. This is actual. These are things that you can look on online. This is things that are talked about, discussed. This is, this is very, very real. But the thing is, we have not been aware of it because, you know what? We just go on and go on. And, you know, these days aren't that bad. These days aren't that bad. But all the while, Satan is making his inroads, and the days are becoming very perilous. So if you, if you notice there, they, that they want to have the whole child to be educated, and so they want to be able to focus on the mental health, the social-emotional development. By the way, who's ultimately responsible for the education of a child? That's Bible. Specifically who in the home? The father. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. All right, that's not to say that you can't allow someone else to educate, but it is to say that the buck stops here. So we have, we have mental health, social-emotional development, Identity development. Well, now, what do you think that's all about? Do you really want this system helping the children of our nation to understand who they are? Academic development, that's what it should be. Uh, cognitive development, the, uh, just uh, the brain and, and be able to think through, and then physical health. Think about that. Think about that. There are sometimes now that waivers are being signed that sign away a parent's right to make determinations about health, so much so that the, the hospital or the, the, uh, the school staff can make decisions about their health. So we're talking about whole child education that is moved away from just an academic focus to the whole child. They're schooling the nation. Never before has there been a time for Christian parents who care about their children to remove them, uh, remove them from this type of stuff. Is it easy to homeschool? 
Not at all. Not at all. But I don't homeschool because it's easy. I homeschool because this is godlessness. And it's wrong. And now I have, I have, I have unsaved people applauding us for homeschooling because they realize how bad off it is. I can't imagine having my kids in the middle of a school where there's the TikTok challenge. You say, well, they should be there and be the light, um, the light of the world. I understand that. I understand, but do you realize this, this is increasingly wicked stuff that is being taught to them? And so as we, as we think along, this continues on. The income disparity, creating divides economically so that there can be the redistribution of wealth, the defunding of the police so that there's, there's more chaos. By the way, the cities that decided to defund the police, some of them had to come back and realize, hey, we actually need them. So anyway, all I'm saying is, this stuff has its root in something that is very, very unbiblical. We can go back and, and really, it would not take you long to go back and to personally, to personally go back and put scripture references next to each one of those things. So there's going to be a degenerate culture that's developed or that is a result of degenerate people. So Paul seems to indicate here as we move on to verse number five and finally, uh, that some believers can get caught up in this. They can, get, they can get caught up in the flow of this. And so he says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, there's a need for us to realize that in these perilous times, these last days, that there are going to be very deceptive days. Very deceptive. You know, sometimes you hear somebody uh, say some things, and you say, well, they sound pretty good. They sound like they, they have a heart for the right thing. And friends... I want you to consider this. We need to be, as believers, we need to be able to see the deception. He says having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Is that visible in our day? They have a form. They, they form something that looks godly. They're not on the inside. And most of that time, that comes through their, their vain words. Are you with me? Most of the time, and I'll give some illustrations here just to, to help us out. I think you would expect that. Most of the time, it comes from their, uh, their, their vain words. So, so it's kind of a formation. It's a, it's a front that they, they're godly. They, they lean on something that sounds religious when they need it to sound religious to advance their, their cause. And by the way, this is, this, is not, this is not relegated to one side of the country, one side of the, the political aisle or, or the other. There are many who do this. And friends, this is why you and I, we must remain biblicists. We must remain close to the heart of God because otherwise we can get swayed in one way or the other. This has to be our final authority. Don't we believe that as Baptist? That's our first distinctive as a Baptist church. Biblical authority. In all manners of faith and practice, we, we take this as the literal word of God. And it is the word of God. Inspired and without error. And so we need to see through the deception. By the way, the word of God is what's going to help us to see through the deception. Ephesians 4 and verse number 14. It's going to help us not be tossed to and fro. So they have this form of godliness. And they present this. But they deny. They, they refuse to regard. They refuse to acknowledge the power of God. Now is that not true today? They refuse to acknowledge I'm amazed at the people who will curse God's name yet use a scripture verse to prove a point. It's amazing to me. Um, have you heard in the, in the last, well, you, I mean, it doesn't really matter what time 
you hear people uh, try to, to push something forward on you and say, now, if you're really a believer, I thought you believed in the, the great command, which is to, to love thy neighbor as thyself, right? right? And so you must do this for the good of your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, if you're going to be a good Christian, you must do this. Have, have you heard any of that? You heard that from, from some people in high office? You hear, you hear some of that? You must do this, right? Using, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's amazing the same people that can say that can go out and do absolute wicked things or sign off on very wicked things. We have to be aware of that. We have to see the deception. Um, what about judge not? Don't judge me. That's God's thing. What's up with that? We hear this all the time. Don't judge me. Judge not that you be not judged. I heard someone just this week on a, on a TV program, I'm bringing that up, you shouldn't judge. And, and it's almost like this is now the blanket for all the sin that I'm allowing in my life and in other people's life, don't judge. Don't judge because God said not to judge. Well, you can't say one thing that God said while disobeying another thing that God said, right? You, you, you can't be that way. So they have a form of godliness. It sounds really good. Well, that should shut up the Christians in their tracks, because they can't judge because that's what God said. We need to remember what the Bible says. We're to judge righteous judgment. We're to have discernment. We're to have discernment. And by the way, we don't have to judge the, the Bible itself. The word of Christ, who is the final judge, they will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word, will be the judge. We already have the judgment right here. And all we have to do is, uh, we have to do is declare it and speak the truth in love. And so they say, don't judge uh, and, and use it as a license to sin. I think in, this, uh, in the, uh, the past, in, in the past uh, inaugural address, uh, I, I just remember the quoting of Scripture, weeping may endure for a, a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I'm not saying it's absolutely wrong for anyone to ever uh, to quote Scripture, but it's amazing to me that we lean on Scripture to prove a point, but we disobey Scripture in another area. But that's happening all over, all over. Uh, I think about uh, when the 13 of our, our soldiers were killed in Afghanistan, the, the address that was given that used Isaiah 6 and verse number 8, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And it, the statement, the American military has been answering for a long time, here am I, send me, as if that was a, 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 made it all right. Now, this is what they're doing. And so our negligence in pulling out of Afghanistan and now we're going to use some scripture on it. And so we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. You see, this is happening everywhere. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm speaking about our president right now, but it's happening everywhere. I, our own governor, I've been on phone calls where our own governor has used scripture. He has used scripture to tell pastors what to do and not opening up the church. Well, he allowed for the abortion clinic to stay open here in Kettering. Absolute wickedness. And this is a form of godliness, but the denying the power thereof. Uh, so we, we, in our, our society, what's constantly pumped in front of you, how many have died from COVID? How many died from COVID? Listen, I had COVID. I don't want to ever, ever have it again. How many of you are with me? It, it's, it, it's real, and it, I don't know what it, all it is, but it's real, and it has effects. I don't want it again. Are, are you all with me? Okay, so I, I don't want it. But the fact is, so they, they pump the numbers in front of us. How many have died throughout the whole world? Okay, but how many have died here in the United States? 700,000. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. 3,000, 3,000 
are killed a day through abortion in our country. 3,000. Now think about this. They've done really well at where they keep the attention. So we literally put children to death. I'm not diminishing. I'm not diminishing any death. You understand? But you talk about the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy. And the outright lies, even in our own state, the outright lies of our governor to say, I'm not allowing the abortion clinics to stay open while allowing Miss Amy Acton to keep them open on behind the scenes. Absolute wickedness behind the scenes. They, they, will, they will say to pastors, now listen, pastors, if you really love your congregation, I heard this, if you really love your congregation, you won't have it open. And where I told one of the governor's representatives, the governor does not love the congregation of Grace Baptist Church more than I do or more than Jesus does, and there is a great need for the congregation of Grace Baptist Church to be together. Having, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And it's all over. So we're killing, we're co- killing countless babies. And by the way, it's amazing as we see all this going on in our own state, the heartbeat bill down in Texas, the, um, the, the abortion bill that got, um, got passed. There's cities right here in our own state that are becoming sanctuary cities. Have you seen that happening? I, I pray for the day that Kettering becomes a sanctuary city for, um, for babies, for the unborn. Praise the Lord. And the day when Stroop Road um, abortion clinic is shut down. But you know what's interesting? This is happening. So they, oh, we're so concerned about death. What about the death of all these little innocent lives? You know, it's also astounding to me that the highest rate of abortion in America is in the District of Columbia. What an awful, awful thing. 22% of all the pregnancies in the USA end in abortion. And then our own president said, as, the, as Texas passed the law, it's an unprecedented assault on a women's constitutional rights. And so it's a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We sound really good. We want everyone to have their rights and so on. And out of the same mouth, oh, we, we mourn about all these deaths, but we want people to have their constitutional, constitutional rights. By the way, sin is not a constitutional right. Murder is not a constitutional right. And I hasten to say, every time I talk about abortion, that if you've ever had an abortion, let me urge you to realize that there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you do not have to spend the rest of your life trying to, to go back and justify by, by, by telling other people not to talk about it. You do not have to spend the rest of your life in guilt over that. God forgives, and one day you'll see that little one in heaven. That's our God. If you've ever had an abortion, you ought to be the one standing up the loudest and the the most bold to stand against it because you know the horror of it. You know the nightmares. You know what happens in your life uh, because of that abortion. I don't mean to make you feel bad, but you ought to be the the one that's just saying, hey, we're going to go forward. We're going to do something in our own own city. And we do need to see God do something right here in our own city because there's extreme wickedness happening right within the the city limits right here on Stroop Road. Now we think about this. We need to see the deception, but shun the deception. What do we do? What's the Christian response? We're going to end it up with this. What's the Christian response? What does God say? Now, this is not the entirety of the passage because the passage goes on further. We'll have to deal with that in another time. But the response in this moment that God wants you and I to have is the last phrase in verse number five. Are you there? 
Would you read it out loud with me? Last phrase of verse number five, ready and begin. From such, turn away. One more time. From such, turn away. All right. That's what God wants you and I to do. God saved you out of the world and does not intend for you to go and to make connection and fellowship with this world. Now, he wants you to win it. We're not, we're, not, we're not taken out of it. We are here for a purpose. We are to win it, but we're not. the world does not give us our satisfaction. It does not fill our relational need. This is to fill our relational need. Your family is to fill your relational need. Ultimately, God is to fill your relational need. So he says, from such, turn away. Shun it is the word. That's very strong language. But God says, for your own spiritual good, shun all of this evil. Shun those that are having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. They're true fakes in, their, in, their, in the way that they deport themselves. Shun them for your own spiritual good. Now, what's that going to look like? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, verse number 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, with Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Notice the next verse. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So here's what we need to do. First of all, we need to make sure that we're walking in the light on Monday morning and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. We need to make sure we're walking in the light. What is that? It's walking in the truth of the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I need to walk in it. I need to take what God taught me today and I need to run to my prayer closet tomorrow. I need to get alone with God so I know his will for tomorrow. I need to walk in the light of what God gave me today. I need to walk in awareness tomorrow that I live in a day that is perilous, that's pressing down upon me, and I need to realize this is what God said actually would happen. And so I need to walk in the light. So this is much more, my response is much more about about what I am embracing than what I'm shunning. And I want you to think about this. Sometimes we can get in our attitudes that this is what I'm against, and that's what I'm against, and I'm against that person, I'm against that person. Who are you for? Who are you for? Who are we to be for? Jesus Christ. Friends, it's a whole lot easier to stop worrying about, oh, i got to be against this, 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 and this, and this, and that ideology and that philosophy, and just be with Jesus Christ. So this matter of shunning is a lot more about embracing Christ and walking in the light and abiding in him and listening, uh, listening to him in prayer and allowing him to speak to us in, 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 uh, through his word and, and embracing him then, well, i got to be against all this stuff. How in the world can I do this? This will overwhelm you. This will release you. That's what we need to do. And so walk in the light as he is in the light. Ephesians 5, verse number 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Wouldn't you say that list of 19 is unfruitful works of darkness? Yes, okay? So have no fellowship with that, but what are we supposed to do? Ephesians 5, 11, write this um, verse down, meditate on it, but rather reprove them. Say that with me, but rather reprove them. What is that? Reprove is to sternly admonish. You know what the church and what believers have lost is the ability to sternly admonish the wickedness of her day. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, if I say that, they might not like me. Friends, we don't have to be caustic. We don't have to be nasty. Speak the truth in love, the Bible tells us to do. But we are to reprove them. Now, how do we reprove? How do you and I reprove as we go throughout this week? First of all, reprove by example. Live, live a life that is Christ-like. Do you realize that your life has a, 
has the ability to reprove without even saying a word. Isn't that amazing? Your sweet spirit, your kindness, your purity, the purity in your eyes. Do you realize people can see a whole lot? I, I talked about our eyes this morning. They can see a whole lot about our purity right in our eyes. We're not making the jokes they're making. We're not going down the same paths they're, on, they're going down. And so we can, we can reprove right with our example. Be a bright light for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't, uh, don't shine, uh, hide your light under a bushel. Let your life be exposed. Lift out, uh, let your Christ-likeness out. Now think about this. People in your life should not have to, to wonder, is that person a Christian? Oh, I'm pretty amazed. That, wow, I didn't know they were a Christian. I didn't know. They should just know. And your life lived, hid with Christ, living out Christ-likeness, will reprove the world around you. Number two, reprove with your words. When God gives the opportunity, declare truth and declare the gospel. None of this is separate from the gospel. None of what I've said tonight is separate from the, um, the biblical truth. All of, it, all of it goes back to, is it God's way or man's way? Is it God or government? Is it God or our own way? Or is it God or is it uh, humanism? Is it me? And all of it goes back to that. So we can speak truth, speak the gospel, declare what God told us to declare, lift him up. So reprove with words, but then reprove with actions. There are times that we need to stand up. And God is going to give you wisdom in that. But like we said last, last Sunday night, there's, there's some of you who need to take that step and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to run for this position on the school board because I'm burdened, even though I'm, I, I'm not at all excited about what's going on inside of the school, I'm burdened to be a light and a witness there. By the way, every opportunity that God brings you in is going to give you people to witness to. So none of this is separate from our gospel work. None of it is. Where God places you, he's going to give you opportunity to witness. So we reprove with action. We stand up. We oppose evil as salt and light, as that salt being a restraining force, being a, a, a preserving force, light exposing the error, exposing the, the lies and the deceit. And so we reprove with example, with words, and with action. Example, words, and action. Wherefore, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. 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 My wife got me a while back, I may have sh uh, shown some of you, uh, this little uh, challenge coin, and it has all the armor of God on it. Now this is not the armor of God, but it reminds me, it reminds me that I need the armor of God every day. Most every day I have it in my pocket to remind me that in this evil day, I need the armor, and so don't you. So don't you. If we're going to stand this evil day, oh, how we need it. We need to stand up. And so Timothy was not just to be about what he was against. He was to remember, I am for Jesus Christ. I am called as a minister of Jesus Christ. I have a flock that I'm leading towards Jesus Christ. I need to be about Jesus Christ. If you'll spin ahead to verse number 14 and look at this. Paul concludes this section that we're going to jump into the next time. He's going to give some illustrations about some guys that have withstood the truth, have stood against the truth. He's going to give some illustration about that. But right now, he tells Timothy in verse number 14, with all that's going on, Timothy, with all that you see and everything that I've said about the last days, the perilous times, and those that oppose the truth, he says, Timothy, here's what you need to do. Not only do you need to shun those that are, are going this way, not only do you need to reprove them, 
But you also need to do this. You need to continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy, you need to take the truth of God's word and you need to go forward with it. You need to continue in it. And that's my simple encouragement to you tonight. You, you, may, you and I can't change everything that's going on in our world around us. God said, be aware of it. By the way, he did not say, as he opens up on chapter 3, he does not say, uh, this do also uh, in the last days uh, change them or you know, something along that line. He said, this I want you to know. Be aware of this, but here's what you need to do. Uh, reprove them, stand against them, uh, from such turn away. And he tells us here in verse number 14, continue in the things that you've learned. Keep being faithful. Keep being faithful. Can you do that? I'm looking for a response. Can you do that? Yeah. And I can too, with his help. And so before we leave tonight, let's ask him to do that. Let's ask him to help us to be aware, right? Not to be dominated by it. Turn your eyes away from that and turn it to here. We're aware. We realize this is going on. So I want to embrace Jesus Christ and want him to help me to continue in the things that I've learned. And so let's pray and ask him to help us with that tonight. Would you bow with me in prayer? And right there in your seat, in just a moment, we'll have time for invitation, just a time to pray. In fact, I'd just encourage you to find your, your knees if the Lord has spoken to your heart tonight, right there at your seat. But you might pray something like this. I, I wrote this down and... Um, an expression to the Lord of, Lord, this is what I need you to do. Lord, thank you so much for being my rock and fortress. I confess to you that I need your help so that I will not get sidetracked by the evil that is all around me. Lord, I need your grace to enable me to continue in the truths that I've learned from your word. Please strengthen me to be a doer of your word and not just a hearer as I go through this week. Maybe you pray something like that to the Lord. Lord, I need your strength. I can't do it alone. He told you that if you have need, that you can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. Would you just do business with the Lord right there? Maybe you just kneel there and say, Lord, this is my prayer. Thank you for being my rock and my fortress. I see all that's going on in the world around me. Right now, I want to put my eyes on you. I need your strength as I go out into the world this week. Father, we again just give you praise tonight for the fact that you are a fortress and you are a rock. You are unchanging. You do not move. You do not budge. Your truth is eternal. Your Lord, your word is forever settled in heaven. And uh, Lord, we give you praise for that this evening. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to find safety and shelter in you, that we'd find you to be our hiding place. Lord, that we would run to you and that in the 
the hour of perilous times, that you would help us uh, not to rest upon our, our own abilities, but to trust in you only. And Lord, to have uh, your help to go forward, to stand, to speak truth, to shine for Jesus Christ by example. Uh, Lord, to, with our words, declare your truth and your gospel. And Lord, with our, with our lives and our times, our, our talents, Lord, to stand up and take action. Uh, Lord, in these days, whatever you tell us uh, to do. And so I pray that you would help us, Lord, as your people. Uh, we do not belong to ourselves. We do not belong to ourselves, you told us. And so I pray that we would just commit ourselves wholly to you. And God, would you guide us in these days, we pray. Thank you for each person that's here tonight. I pray your richest blessing upon them this week and that you would uh, just be with them and that you would comfort them and strengthen them with might in the inner man, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. And we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.